Hello and welcome to the In the Ring Pedigree Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you from Saratoga, from the little house on the east side, my new broadcasting digs for the summer. Happy to be joined today by Windstar Farms, Sean Tugel. Sean, what's happening? Oh, Pete, just uh, myself and uh, my coworker Liam on the loose are rolling through the hills of West Virginia right now on our way up to uh, host some breeders in Virginia this evening and uh, have a good time there in, in historic Virginia and hopefully spread the good word. And then uh, on to our favorite, one of our favorite weekends of the year, the uh, Haskell this weekend, where we uh, sponsor the Matchmaker, Matchmaker Stakes. Uh, one of our favorite weekends. I'm very excited. The weather looks like it's going to be sunny but quite hot, so we'll make that suit and tie a little bit uh, less <laughs> desirable. So, uh, but you know, if we were in Delmar, we could probably pull off just the, uh, the, the Hawaiian shirt or something and get away with it. But I don't think we can do that on the East coast. No, no, not. I mean, Monmouth is a little bit, a little bit of a half step towards Delmar. You are less than a mile from the ocean, but you're going to be needing that seaside breeze. I will say this. I just did a, you're going to have to listen to the other show because we just had Brian Skirka of Monmouth on, and he actually gives his wise guy suggestions for where to find air conditioning at Monmouth. So you, you will have a tip. If you need a break, maybe you can find one of these hidden air-conditioned areas. I assume you'll be in, uh, in one of the fancy boxes for the day, most, in mostly? Well, um, we, we do, we'll have some parterres, which, which are nice. Oh, they're wonderful. You know, there's, there's, uh, they're open to air, which is unbelievable. That's what I love about Monmouth is uh, it's all open. It's, uh, it's fantastic. I mean, that was one thing that we discussed when we were in Ascot, what we loved about their kind of grandstand uh, is that it's just open. It's not a lot of enclosed areas. So uh, Monmouth kind of shares that quite a bit, and there's a lot of open-air area. So um, it's one of my favorite racetracks to go to, so I always really enjoy this weekend. Get that breeze going. If you need a break during the day, the sports book is air-conditioned. You could go down and check that out for a minute. Um, I wasn't planning really on making you talk too much about Monmouth, but the way the racing world is shaped, I mean, hey, we have a Saturday card at Saratoga that there's going to be some competitive stuff, and obviously we're going to be betting on. I'm going to be there live. But we made sure, we actually just received word that we're going to be renting out our little veranda area. I've been spending some time trying to bring in other folks to rent it out, helping out my friends at the Paddock Bar. And I'm sure folks listening who have uh, Sales Week or something, if you have uh, clients around, folks, this is a great option for entertaining. But we're going to rent it ourselves just so we can watch Monmouth on the big screen right there with the remote control, with the power outlets, all the, the whole kit and caboodle. So I need to get a few thoughts from you, Sean. I didn't prep you for this, so if you haven't looked yet, but the race you sponsored, the Haskell, obviously. Uh, do you have anything you're excited about so far at Monmouth, or is this work you're, that's still yet to be done? One of the things I'd be most excited for about the Haskell weekend is if you'd ever take us up on the invitation to come join us. I know that you are a, you are a very loyal Saratoga meet participant, um, but we like to get out and travel around. We'll be at Saratoga soon enough. Uh, certainly, uh, the mat matchmaker stakes that we sponsor drew uh, quite a uh, nice group of fillies, which is headlined by the grade one winner competition of ideas, um, who's by our stallion Spikestown. She looks quite uh, difficult there. You know, Arno Delacour has I'm So Fancy, an Irish-bred filly that looks uh, 
like she might be uh, one to to toil with that day. And then Dark Artist, who, uh, you know, if you're looking for a horse for the course, certainly has quite a good record there at Monmouth as well. So a nice competitive um, field, and we'll be excited to present uh, one of the lucky uh, owners with a trophy that day. That's pretty cool. And you know what? The way the landscape has changed – this year, I make plans so far in advance of who's going to visit when. I've got so many people coming into town that there's just no way I can get away. But I would think if I had it to do over again and could have done the planning differently, I think I would have chosen this maybe one day, this one Saturday, to uh, to not to, to do my show. You know, I'm doing these live shows in the backyard at Saratoga, the Don Julio Bandstand right near Dunkin' Donuts. I'm doing them from 9.30 to 10. But after that, theoretically, my work responsibilities fulfilled, I could have headed down your way. So in a, in a future year, I will take you up on that offer. Can't talk about Saturday at Monmouth without getting a quick thought from you, Sean, on the Haskell itself. Where's your money going to be going there? Well, you know, certainly the uh, three-year-old landscape is still wide open. Uh, the one thing I do really think is going to benefit uh, the Midsummer Derby, the Travers, uh, is this is the Haskell being moved up a week instead of competing with the Jim Dandy as it usually does. So that instead of being uh, next Sunday, it's going to be this Saturday. So I think that's going to really help. Obviously, maximum security. Um, the disqualified Kentucky Derby winner uh, is your favorite, Morning Line 8-5, but uh, was most re recently upset by the horse who's drawn down on the inside, King for the Day, uh, who's owned by, by a, a group that supports Monmouth very well, Red Oak Stable. Um, so I think it's going to be a showdown between them again, and then obviously you, you always have the very um, – uh, difficult to beat Bob Baffer, who's shipping in Mucho Gusto, who should love the, the Haskell, uh, the style of the track there at Monmouth, which is a little bit more speed favoring at times. And uh, we know the success that Bob Baffert's had in this race over the past 15 years. So um, certainly it's going to be a showdown for some horses that, uh, with the new placement on the racing calendar, probably if they win this race, will be looking to come back in the Travers and, and maybe stamping themselves as the, the new leader of the pack for the three-year-old group. Seven or eight, I think it is, Haskells that Baffert has. I think maybe he's going for number eight here. Or gosh, it, it blends together. There are so many of them. But I'm not going to let you get away that easy, Sean. That was a good rundown of the top contenders. i got to hold your feet to the fire and back to my original question about who, who's your pick in this race. I think I'm going to land on maximum security. I think probably that last race was a pure prep race. Um, you know, it was a non-grade stakes. It, it was a smaller purse. It, that's not a, a race that makes your resume on stallions. Um, certainly Jason Service, I think you would consider Monmouth his home track and, and wanting to win the Haskell. He would be just setting this horse up for the, uh, the million-dollar Haskell. So um, I'm going to go with him. You know, I know he was beat, but he wasn't beat by much. He still ran a triple-digit buyer speed figure, which he has more triple-digit buyer speed figures than any of the three-year-olds that we've had this year, and there aren't many that have run triple-digit speed figures. So um, I think uh, he is still the one to beat, and, and, you know, Liam and I were kind of discussing this on the way up this morning is, you know, what kind of price are we going to get? You know, he's 8-5 to five more in line, but could he drift up to 2-1? to one? Could he be 5-2? to two? People saying, well, you know, he was beating his last out. You got the Baffert factor. You know, you might get a pretty juicy price on him when you when you think about um, kind of the way he lines up against this group. 
It's an interesting point about the, the Baffert factor is going to take a toll at the windows there for sure. And then obviously the form angle with King for a day having beaten him the last time. The one piece of info I will throw out there for those such as yourself who will be there in person, but also something maybe just to pay a little bit of attention to on the simulcast feed. We did get reports from the paddock before the Pegasus. Not that he looked bad, but that he looked sort of comparatively docile and not that fully cranked maximum security who'd been seen previously. I think if you can leave your, it uh, doesn't help you for the picks, but if you can leave your wagering decision as late as possible and get a chance to pick up the vibes about how he's doing beforehand, that might be the way to do it before you make that final commitment. Cause he might just tout himself. And if he, if he does so, I think they're all probably running for second, but we'll see. We'll see who shows up. We'll see what happens. It's going to be a great day at Monmouth on Saturday. But now, Sean, I want to turn our attention to Friday at Saratoga, a little bit later in the show. I should have said this up top, but folks will have read the description before they click on the show, so they'll already know that John Panagot will be joining us shortly. But before we get to John, I want to do some handicapping. People really liked the uh, that element of the show last week. I got a lot of positive feedback. Some winners were given out, which is always nice. We'll look too late for today. Uh, there, there are there there is some two year old action Saratoga Thursday, but by the time this posts, uh, that's not too useful to people. So let's instead look at Friday and Saturday at Saratoga, and then we'll look out west to a two year old maiden special weight on Saturday at Del Mar. But we'll kick it off with race five. Two year olds going six on the dirt at the spa. Three of them have run. Folks interested in the ones who've run, feel free to go to inthemoneypodcast.com and read Benny South Street's fine trip notes on those runners. But I want you, Sean, to give us the rundown from a pedigree perspective. I'll, I'll ask it this way. Do you think the winner of this race will be one who's run, or do you think it will be a first-time starter? Well, if I had to pick between the two, I'm going to go with the first-time starter. I do think any time a, a two-year-old has, has a race under its belt versus a first-time starter, it is quite a big advantage. Um, they kind of know what to expect, um, certainly at Saratoga with the large crowds throughout the week and on the weekends. Um, that can add, add added stress to a sure. two-year-old. So um, I always like to see – you know, if there's a horse that has run that actually ran a competitive race, you know, if even if, you know, horses that have run once but were beaten 25, 30 lengths, that still won't do much for me. But, um, you know, horses that was competitive. So in this race, I'm going to go straight to the outside there with um, Sweet Kisses, the Carpe Diem filly of Jeremiah Engelhart's. Um, certainly by Carpe Diem, he broke his maiden first time out at Saratoga. Um, so the pedigree is there to say that it's a win early pedigree. It was competitive in its first race, running second. Kind of wish you would have seen a little bit maybe higher buyer first time out, but a 49 is more than respectable, and two-year-olds can, can move up 10 to 15 points quite easily from first start to second start. But what I like in this horse's running line, just the filly that beat her, kissed the girls, came back, and uh, ran a banger race there in the Schuylerville. Um, as we talked about, we think she might be the best-named filly that we've seen so far the year. But she ran really well for Todd Pletcher and Three Diamond Farms there last week. So I do think there is some form there that should flatter this filly. Um, she is sitting on the board at 4-1. to one. Jose Ortiz stays on the filly. Always a good sign there. Um, but if I was going to choose a horse that has not run yet, I think just to her inside, I think Suge is always really dangerous to win a baby race at least once throughout the meet. We can think about the horses like Honor Code who won first time out. We can think of the horses like Code of Honor that won first time out. 
what I think you find sometimes in horses with Shug is not some some trainers like to crank them right that last work right before the uh, before they run. I think with Shug sometimes you got to dive in there a little bit, find about find a work about three four back, and that's when he really finds out how much talent they have. If you look back three works, this horse worked a forty six and one. Happen get you one straight out of the gate. You got Joel Rosario on. So I think this race could and should be decided by the two outside horses. I like that analysis. And just to underline that, the clever name, Kiss the Girl, buy into mischief out of spin the bottle. How great is that? It, it amuses me. It amuses me every time. Well, I like that analysis quite a bit. Let's go on and look at Saturday where we've got a pair of of maiden special weights and they go back to back which is kind of fun pedigree fans this is a a, a fun opportunity to mess around with a daily double perhaps so of course you won't get the advantage of potentially seeing them in the paddock for the back half of the double but tote board watchers the trick we always mention is have a look at the betting in the double and you'll get a sense of which horses are drawing money, and that might help you construct those tickets. But we start off with race number six, uh, and this one is going five and a half on the turf for Phillies. Lots of first-time starters in here. Where does your eye go, my friend? Yeah, you know, this is quite an interesting race because there are some turf pedigrees in here, as we'll see with uh, Mom's Pass, who is the point of entry. Um but you would think that would be want to be long on the turf. Now, this horse has already run twice at Churchill, has been very competitive. So you would think that this horse is probably the one to beat with Santana on for Asmussen. Um, but there's other pedigrees in there. You have a war front, uh, Claiborne Farm, Jose Ortiz with Al Stahl. It's a first-time starter. Um, you certainly have the big pedigree of Grand Motion's first-time starter, which is Town out of uh, the Breeders' Cup. Billy Mare Turf winner shirt account. But again, I'm going to end up on the outside, and this is not looking at weather, obviously. I know there's a bunch of uh, MTOs and also eligibles, but I like uh, Irad Ortiz and Jason Service with the horse that ran once already at Monmouth, going four and a half on the dirt, now going five and a half on the turf uh, by, by, Lady Sh- by Midshipman, who's a very excellent, uh, not only a Philly sire, but a turf sprinting. Uh, sire, we can go back to Lady Shipman and, and know how dominant she was sprinting on the turf. Billy already ran once and was competitive uh, out of a hard spun mare. She should take to grass like ducks go to water, so I have no <laughs> issues with her. I'm pretty sure she's going to show up. I like service in this spot, and uh, that's probably where my money would be landing, but um, I think Asmussen can be, be ultra-dangerous there as well. And just to name the two that you were interested in from a pedigree point of view in more of a longer-term way, even if not today, sharing is the Graham Motion uh, shared out of uh, shared account, and Meritaton is the Al Stahl Claiborne horse that you mentioned for those. For those following <laughs> along who don't have the – I mean, a lot of people don't have the luxury of listening to this with the paper in front of them, so good to, mm. good to underline those names for when we have an opportunity to do so. I just wanted you to explain more. We have people at all different levels listening to this show. We have some newer – horse racing fans just getting into the game i want some content to cater for them as well as in addition to the industry people who listen uh, the shorter fields in these uh, the, the limitation i should say of the fields in these races you see all those also eligibles where there's only uh, whatever it is is it is it are they limited to 10 i wanted you to explain why the field size is limited in these two-year-old races um well the first and foremost it's safety um you know you have a lot of 
with two-year-olds, you do have a lot of first-time starters. Um, you can get a lot of traffic issues. Um, you know that, and a lot of times when when you think about it, when you're going five and a half or you're going four and a half on the dirt, um, you come up to that turn very very quickly. So certainly, the more horses you have trying to jockey for for position going into the first turn, the more issues you can have. So a lot of this is is based on on safety for the horses, for the jockeys, um, and and the course restraints. It's uh, you know when you're going two turns on the turf, it's you're it's, you know, not everybody's running and gunning out of the gate. They're going to kind of fall into position. You have a run up into the first turn where everybody can find their position. Obviously, we do see times where you have four or five horses that are trying to make the lead and, and, and horses get fanned wide. Um, but you don't see that as much in the two-turn races as you do the one-turn races. So that is the main reason why in these one-turn races you do see a uh, limited field as opposed to the two-turn races. It's a, it's a good description, and I think you have to consider what you said about course configuration. This isn't Europe where you're able to run these sprints in a straight. There are some real opportunities for danger, whether it comes from greenness or aggressive jockeying going into it to a shorter run to the first turn. So I, it does it is a move that makes perfect sense from a safety perspective. And just wanted to figure we get that out there. Some some educational, some more basic educational material from time to time on the show. Not a bad thing. Let's talk about the seventh race, Sean. We're on the dirt now with uh, two-year-old maidens. What did you think about this group? Um, very, I think this is a very, this could be a very, uh, productive race. I think this is a race where we could see some horses come out of here, um, that could be, end up running in, in the hopeful or the Saratoga special later on in the meet. Um, certainly you have, uh, John Kimmel's horse for Toby Morton, who, uh, just fired a bullet minute there over the course. He just ran third, beating four lengths in his last start with a solid 66 buyer, um, Steve Asmussen, I think, is probably the horse to beat in this race. He has the horse Basin, who ran a 70 in his first start, which is a very good uh, first out buyer for a two-year-old. He was beaten in his last race by By Your Side. He came back and won extremely impressively in the uh, Stanford Stakes last weekend by Windstar Stallion Constitution. And, uh, you know, those look like the two to beat, but then... If you get lucky and you get the also eligible to draw in, the Mark Cassie second-time starter with Tyler Gaffleone on, Curlin, he should probably move a, make a move forward. Um, love this breeding of this horse, the Curlin out of a hard-spun mare, identical breeding to the champion Good Magic. We know what he went on to do in his career. So he came out of the exact same race as, um, as uh, By Your Side and Basin. So if he draws into this field, I think um, being able to stretch out from from what this first race was five and a half furlongs, this is now six furlongs, which would complement his pedigree. Um, that's an ultra ultra dangerous horse if he gets into the field. But I think this could be an extremely uh, productive colt race, and one we may talk about later down in the uh, end of the meet. All right, I like the sound of that. How important are the subtle distance differences for you, Sean, when you're analyzing these two-year-old maiden special weights? How significant is the difference between five and five and a half and six? I'm coming to believe it's a lot more significant than I used to give it credit for. I think it, it's quite a bit uh, significant. I think when you're going four and a half furlongs, I mean, it's just a pure sprint. You get out of the gate and you just go, uh, which you can also do at five. I think when you start getting the six furlongs, 
uh, class starts to come into play a little bit. You know, uh, you use that term cheap speed doesn't quite hold up as well there, especially in two-year-old races where you might have a uh, very well-bred horse, for example, Steve Asmussen's horse or Mark Cassie's horse. Um, and the longer you go, the more emphasis there is on stamina and class. And certainly in these two-year-old races, um, class starts to separate these colts, horses that, you know, can sit and relax and make a big run towards the end and finish up six furlongs on the dirt can be a little difficult for horses uh, at this time of year. Um, so obviously having a run over a course already is really going to help a horse get that distance, whether it was four and a half, five, five and a half, you get that one run. That's like two, three works in some trainers' opinions. Um, so, but also class and pedigree comes into play more as they start stretching out. So, um, you can start that definitely where pedigree comes into play more. I think when you're handicapping, um, you might see a horse that ran four and a half and he kind of just got out ran. You say, well, you know, he's really not bred to go four and a half. That makes sense. But now going six, you can say, well, he should be much more competitive. It's not going to be as fast as an early fraction as the four and a half possibly. And, uh, he should be finishing strong. like his pedigree suggests. So pedigree and class come in, come into play much more as, as, the year goes on and the distance stretch out. And when we're paying attention to these races, maybe that's something to look at as we get to races like the hopeful and the spin away at the end of the meet, the, the, the big jump of going from five to seven, as opposed to something that's a little bit more of a progression. If you're talking about six to seven, it's just all things that help tell the story of these horses from a pedigree point of view. And that I think when you're, you're talking about that, that class to me, is very tied up with the idea of the ability not just to, to start a race and, and bury a field, but to but to, to finish and to really wanna want to be a racehorse slash be trained to be a more of a complete racehorse than a, a one dimensional speedster, yes? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right, let's move on to Del Mar. We're just gonna. We're not gonna do the calbreds. No offense to calbreds, but uh, you know, workload and, and timing and, and all like that. But we do have an open maiden special weight that goes as race number nine on Saturday. We've got we've got a five furlong race for fillies. Have you had a chance to look over this field? What stands out to you? Um, the, the kind of a, there's a couple of horses you're you're um, attracted to here. Certainly, the first time starter for Doug O'Neill on the outside. Uh, by Painter, you got his go-to guy, Mario Gutierrez. Uh, obviously, this horse. See, this is one of these where is it? it may, you want Doug O'Neill is so good with his first-time two-year-old, but in this case, if you look at the work pattern of this horse, it's almost a head scratcher. A lot of times, uh, two-year-olds, you you only want to see one, maybe two gate works uh, close to them running. That shows that the horse broke well from the gate, was handling the gate well. Typically, when you see more than one, sometimes two is okay. But when you see multiple gate works leading into a race, that might be a question mark. Is this horse handling the gate well? Is this horse not breaking well? And this horse has three straight gate works. So you take a trainer and jockey combination, they're very effective, um, that win a lot first time out. But you see this filly come in with three straight gate works. You'd have to, you might be a little skeptical and want to take a wait-and-see approach here. So that would probably land me on, on two horses that have already run 
and have pretty pretty good running running lines. One would be the Will Take Charge uh, out of Stormy Tack. She's a good producing uh, filly. She herself is out of uh, the ultra fast uh, Lady Tack. We know how good she was. Ran a 69 by her first time out. Came back and fired a bullet last time and a 47. And that she comes out of the race with the TDN Rising Star Amalfi Sunrise, who is also a daughter of Constitution, who was the uh, sire of the Sanford Stakes winner by your side. So pedigree play there. If you see Constitution's entered in the entry box with two-year-olds this year, it's his first crop, but they're very competitive. He already has graded stakes winners. He has multiple TDN Rising Stars. So that's a pedigree play on a horse that has very few sample sizes. Um, but with first-time starters, he's been ultra-competitive. So that's a, a big race for her to come out of. And then the other one would be Anna Mia, who has a runaway and hide, always a good two-year-old sire. That horse is coming out of uh, a good race, won by a commissioner filly called Powerful Attraction. Uh, she's going to have to step up her buyer's speed figure a little bit to be competitive with Richard Baltus's horses. So looks like it goes through Baltus here. All the, all the signs say from her last race with the speed figure to the way she's worked coming back. And um, it looks like it all goes through her. So uh, that's probably where I'm going to land. But uh, as I said, two-year-olds, funny things can happen. <laughs> well, that's the number five, save the story, that's your top pick. You also mentioned the Mia Runner musically, who will be the seven. And then the one that you mentioned with the three gate works, who you're going to prefer to watch one, Lazy Daisy. I was wondering when we saw the success that uh, O'Neill had shipping horses here last weekend, I wasn't sure if that was a tip that he has a particularly strong group out west or if maybe it wasn't just more of a timing issue where they had the weekend where Saratoga was running and had two-year-olds graded stakes races before Del Mar got going. Uh, do you take that as a tip that he might have a particularly strong hand having the the winner and then also Shippy who had a had a trip in there in the in the Sanford? Yeah, um that may be more of a timing situation. Uh both those Phillies, you know, Shippy, I think with Shippy is is she won at Laurel, so she was already on the East Coast. Right. Um I don't remember off the top of my head there were any West Coast works on that filly in between being bought privately after her maiden and running back. So that would have been a, a, a location one. Um, I think with comical, I do think um, that was probably a timing standpoint. When you think about it, I think we're another week away from the Sorrento. I don't, is that Sunday or, or next week? I, I, I don't have the calendar in front of me. Um, so I think that's two weeks away. Um, timing. She, she obviously won, which was fantastic. But now he gets an extra two weeks, and especially for a filly, she's run twice. Uh, now he can kind of be easy on her, and now he can pick a spot. He knows she likes Saratoga, so he, he can either come back and run in the uh, grade one at the end of the meet, or he can stay at home in Del Mar and run the grade one there. Pretty good options to have. Um, going back to this horse that he has running on Saturday, another indication is the name. I hope she wasn't named after that third gate work. <laughs> I doubt that was the case very much. The Sorrento, for academic purposes, is Saturday, August 3rd. So we'll, we'll be talking about we'll, – we should get an opportunity to talk about that ahead of time as we're going to be following the, the two-year-old races all summer long here on the In the Ring Pedigree podcast. And we always appreciate your insights, Sean. 
Anything else that you have to say before we bring in our guest? Any other topics we need to cover? No, but just to go back to the Haskell and maximum security, um, I'm, I'm, I'm very weak on my social media skills. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll take to it and, and I'll tag you for retweet purposes. Uh, on exactly how maximum security is handling the paddock Love it. and all that. But, you know, if I give out that, <laughs> that's almost like commenting on somebody's clothing, you know, so I don't want to <laughs> create any firestorms on social media. I love it. Yeah, we had a long – we did about 10 minutes on JK's clothes on the other on the other show. And, you know, it pained me. I, part of me just wanted to lump on. He's so much fun to, to make fun of. But, I, you know, this one for me was just a bridge – was just a bridge too far. Let the man – let the man – his boss told him to dress comfortably. He dresses comfortably. He looks like a horse player. Personally, I think it's awesome. He's not like you and me at Royal Ascot, Sean. And, and maybe I'll post that picture uh, at some point within our uh, – in our top hat and tails. That's not that you know. Only only a few of us can pull that off. J.K. Well, he needs the Aloha shirt. Well, first off, the Aloha shirt's great. It's better than that white and black checkered uh, jacket he was wearing <laughs> earlier. <laughs> but as a producer, would he would he rather have somebody commenting on a fun festive shirt or having his analyst on national international television asking for somebody to return his? Uh, <laughs> I knew I wouldn't be immune for long of the mocking. That's why you that's why you fit in so well. I've learned I've told I've told this joke before, but not on this show. The next time the next time somebody is shivering at the car park after one of the days of Royal Ascot and uh, and clearly looking for someone to be a, a, a chivalrous hero and lend and lend them uh, a, a certain garment to keep them warm. I'm just gonna say, listen, lady, get your own coat. That, well, that might be a new uh, a new source of income. You, you you provide coats for women to wear at the car park when they're shivering. A little rental. All right, you know we've got a lot of new business ideas cooking. Hopefully, going to be doing some work with Asket next year. Maybe we'll piggyback that on. I'll make you the VP of that department. What do you think? <laughs> I'll. And now I'd like to welcome to the show an old friend. He is the racing manager for Robert LaPenta, and he is the jockey agent for Javier Castellano, John Panagot. JP, what's up? What's up, guys? How are you doing? Very happy to have you on the show here. And I want to start with a fairly basic question. We have a very varied and interesting audience to this show. We've got people in the breeding business. We've got horse racing fans who are looking to get more involved. So we'll start with a super basic one of what the respective roles are of a racing manager and a jockey agent. We'll start with the jockey agent part. What's your, what's your, what, what is a typical day like for you? Uh, we'll make sure your phone is charged and your <laughs> pen has ink and your condition book is near you and don't screw it up from there. <laughs> well, I, I've got a, uh, Kidding aside, I've got uh, obviously all fame jockey who's already, you know, um, who's already who needs no introduction. Uh, so for me, it's a little different. So my first time around with a, with a jockey, and um, you know, it, it's it's a lot of managing. You kind of you inbound the ball to Javier and get out of his way. Um, <laughs> you know, um, so you know it, it starts early. You know, with guys maybe on on day of entries and. Um, things changing or guys changing their minds. Um, but for the most part, it's, 
it's just be on the ball, watch races, whether you're in them or not, uh, kind of have a good handle on who's going where and, and really know your personnel. Um, some guys, they want to give their call, their calls out as soon as the book's out. Other guys, it takes them a while, you know, and they, they don't want to hang you up or so they'll, they'll mention something late. So you just kind of have to mark where you mark your, uh, you know, your spots where you think these guys may run or, and, and really know how they conduct their business and, and save save a spot. Don't get yourself in trouble and, and don't give a call out too soon when you think you might have a problem. Um, and really keep keep everyone happy and, and, and keep your jockey happy too. That's that, that's another part of it. Is to say the Javier, he's the Lamborghini in the garage that <laughs> you know you um, you like to take out every day, but you got to make sure that everything on him is 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 uh that's the product here you know you don't want to lose sight of that that that, that that's who you're what's taking you there you know so you you keep him happy and he's he's great he's been great to deal with so he's that's been easy but you, you need to maintain that you need to keep him fresh and and uh listen i don't envy these guys what what they do in the morning and four or five in the morning here, then right eight or nine in the afternoon, starting at five thirty, and you're finishing at seven o'clock at night. You know, um, so really, you got to take care of your product, and you got to keep them happy, and you got to communicate, and you got to keep you got to keep your customers happy. And the customers being the the, the trainers in the in that uh, analogy. Correct. And a, a little bit on the particulars. So the condition book comes out. That's a, a, a literal book that lists the races that are coming up. And it's your job to try to partner. It's a perfect analogy. Product jockey with uh, with customer trainer. Mm-hmm. Is that, that that's a, exactly yeah. exactly? And you got to know um, you got to know what horses are here. You know, um, Saratoga is a little different because. There's a lot of people shipping in for the meat, so you're looking at a lot of Churchill charts and stuff, and um, there's some new uh, horse flesh here to, to kind of spread out the business for everybody. Um, you know, there's a lot to go around, but if you're riding horses that were second or third or ran well, uh, you kind of mark where they're going to run. If they got beat, they're probably running back in the same spot. Um, so you just don't – you want to avoid trouble, uh, it goes back to keeping everybody happy. If you can avoid trouble, um, you're in a good position. What a lot of people don't understand is sometimes it's you try to avoid it and you, you get it anyway. And you, you know you take your lumps and you um, you know not everyone's going to be happy, but you know as long as you can accept that, which is not easy because I'd like to keep everybody happy, but it, it you can't be productive and keep everybody happy you try to but you know we're lucky we, we deal with a lot of a lot of people hey. that understand understand and and know how it goes i mean these guys have been doing it most most of all the people i deal with have been doing it longer than me so uh it's uh you know you, you learn a lot out there and to be able to deal with some of the guys that we deal with is uh it's really cool and and, and you're learning every day of everyone's position as long as you respect everyone's position and everyone's job, I feel like you can, um, you know, you can get a long way in, 
and you can be productive. Jonathan, it's Sean. Um, as as many like as Pete talked about, we have a wide variety of uh, of listeners here, and uh, one thing we like to talk about on the show is kind of traditions and stories, uh, especially from the backside. Now, as as many people probably don't know, there's a long-standing tradition after wins that the jocks agents will bring donuts or bagels. What would your go-to be the next morning after a big win to a barn to, to celebrate with them? Are you a bagel guy or you a donut guy? <laughs> well, if it was my own personal party, I'm a bagel guy. I, like, I prefer a bagel. Um, but it depends. On Long Island, I like to bring bagels because that's where I'm from. So I, I, I'm proud of knowing the spots where the good bagels are. <laughs> and up here, uh, Dunkin' Donuts I would go to up here. Yeah, okay, I, love, I love Saratoga, but it's not exactly bagel capital. Uh, no, you know? <laughs> no, it's not. What about now, um, you know, what a lot of people don't know about the jockeys is, is how hard they, they work in the morning and, and how what they have to do to retain those big mounts. Um, you know, how many horses would, would Javier be out on in the mornings? Uh, would he be out there every morning, a couple days a week? Would he be, how many horses would he be breezing for trainers in the morning? Uh, to help them along along the way. On the weekends up here, I would say five on Saturday and five on Sunday. Um, and on a Friday, there's turf on Friday here, so he'll probably get two on a Friday. And then throughout the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, for the most part, he'll have the morning off. And when I say off, is he won't breeze, but he'll come out and we'll go on the golf cart and stuff. Um, but for the most part, you're not breezing on those days. It's dark. Monday's a dark day now, but they still have turf racing. I mean, turf breezing. So um, they'll he'll probably have a Monday or or two to where he has to go out and breeze. So um, so maybe one or two on a Monday, and on the weekend, like I said, up to five. And tomorrow on a, or a typical Friday, he'll probably have one or two. How would that compare, John, to a rider who was like really trying to cut their teeth and make it up into that upper echelon where where Javier lives? How, how many more? How much more hustling? How much more work in the morning would be required of somebody on the way up? I can't speak for a lot of the younger guys. Like I said, this is my first my first jock is already in the Hall of Fame, which is unique. Um, but. A lot of those guys, I would say, would be out first thing, you know, helmet, helmet and stick ready to jump on one if if one became available for somebody. Um, and listen, Javier will do that too. He doesn't go out in his baseball cap and go out to chat. He's willing to jump on one if he's out there, you know. So these guys, the younger guys who are trying to carve their spot, you'll see a lot of them before the sun comes up. Now the sun's up so early, but you'll see a lot of them first thing around, uh, you know, can I do anything for you? And yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, the exercise rider didn't show up this morning. Here, jump on, you know. Right. I want to talk about the other hat that you wear, the racing manager hat, how uh, the specifics of that role, and if you, you mentioned trying to stay out of trouble, I'm going to take a wild guess that the, the, the two jobs at times might present some opportunities for for friction how do you go about managing the two roles right well i worked for bob lapenta for 
seven and a half years before I started working for Javier. And when I got the job with Javier, we kind of said, like, all right, you know, I'm going to have a lot of my time is going to be eaten up. So let's, um, you know, still work together. You know, I'm consulting now and uh, working on a lot of sales for Mitchell Penta. So it's changed a little bit, but with these horses, I'm always helping, you know, where to run and, and um, you know, planning their careers and stuff. And it does overlap, but when I got the job uh, with Javier, he kind of said, listen, I want to keep these two things separate. I'm going to cut back a little bit with Mr. LaPenta and we'll, um, you know, we'll, I've got the time to do it. So let's, let's see how, see if I'm any good at being a jockey's agent. Give it a try. <laughs> um, and so really it's like, you know, you keep it, I, I keep it separately. I, like I wouldn't go over to, as an agent, I wouldn't go over to someone's barn and talk about their horses and, then go to the next one and talk about their horses. It's just, it's just you kind of, uh, the shoe doesn't always fit. If it does, it's fine. If Javier's open and race, have an opportunity to ride one of those horses, great. You know, but in the end of the day, I think everyone knows the, the mission of uh, Javier's jockey's agent and the mission of um, somebody who might be buying horses or, or managing horses, you know. Speaking of uh, your role as, with, with Robert LaPinta, uh certainly his stable star, one of his stable stars, has entered this Saturday in the Mammoth Cup cold front, uh, coming out of the ultra-tough Matt Mile, uh, winner of the very thrilling race in Dubai. Uh, what, what are your takes on, on the race this weekend? And I'm sure a lot of listeners also are uh, looking for maybe a little update on the other stable star, Catholic Boy, and how he came out of his race and where he may be pointing. Well, now I was going to ask you guys what you thought about that race of mom. <laughs> um, well, listen, it's new territory for him and as far as the mile and eight. Um, Todd always seemed to think, even when he was running, and good on him, even when he was running uh, short, six and a half, seven, eight, that he thought once that horse settled a little bit and grew up, um, and maybe he would stop running like he was on fire because early on, I mean, if you look at the horse's form from a baby, take away his pedigree, he looked like a definitely a one-turn, run him off the feet kind of 45, 44 and change kind of horse. Um, and Todd was right. I mean, he's relaxed in his, as he's gotten older, he's five now, <clears throat> excuse me, dealing with the cold over here. Um, and he's really grew into his pedigree, so to speak, just state by state thirsty out of a mine shaft mayor. Um, and he proved it when he run around two turns at Oakland for the first time and, and beat some solid horses, not grade one horses, but he did, he did it the right way from the outside post. And, and he ran early and stayed. Um, I met mile. <clears throat> his draw was a little unfortunate because, um, and one turn mile against those kind of horses. I mean, Mitoli is, man, he's, he's a very good horse. And he's a blast on his outside. And of course, broke so good that day that um, it wasn't really an option. Once you break that well, it's hard to strip him of it and pull him back and get him buried. And, you know, that would have been a disaster. So it was kind of like 
it cost him breaking so well to, uh, along with the rail. And um, I think he's better than that. Um, but this will give him a chance to kind of catch his breath down the backside and get into a rhythm, whereas the Met Mile, it was kind of just like falling into a heap. Very different pace uh, scenarios I, I think, too. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, this. Se- I mean, for so many reasons, this just seems like uh, an easier spot. And I, I think we'll learn. I think we'll learn a lot. And I, I think he could have a pace advantage. And that's a, a track that often will play well to that speed and where that that extra eighth isn't necessarily going to to test stamina as much as it's just going to be an extended test of speed all things that to me make it sound like it it, it could be a, a good day for you all i also think it right, right. agree suggests that he should love the mile and eighth as well being by state thirsty out of the mine shaft mare um did, did leon bluzewicz has he been filling you in on his on the horse's pedigree over the years at, at saratoga when you've been talking <laughs> to him <laughs> You know what? Yeah, when we bought the horse, these three years ago now, um, I heard from Blue a little bit, and, and and he told me how he was spot on. He told me how good this horse is and how special uh, he thought he could be. And listen, this horse has put together a real cat, a real career. I mean, he's seven for ten, I think, he's seven for ten, and uh, just under two million dollars. I mean, he took Bristol Offensive to Dubai and got it done over there with no Lasix. And he's a neat horse. He's a neat horse. Um, and, and yeah, Blue was in his corner, that's for sure. It's pretty neat. We're going to let you get out of here soon. We've kept you longer than we said, but can't let you do so without giving us an update on Catholic Boy and uh, what might be next for him. Um, Catholic Boy sounds like he came out of the race in good shape. Um a little, little bit of an awkward start there, as you guys know, in the mile and a quarter at Belmont. Um, broke well, not like a rocket, but he did break well, and he kind of found himself behind the eventual winner. And then he was – he must have gotten cut up there into the turn because he came out of the race with some cuts on a leg. Um, and he got a little strong. At, I think it was a combination of – of them going slow into that weird elbow and him being buried behind the horse. He's getting a little kicked back and Javier tipped him out and he got a little stronger when he saw some daylight, you know, it's a two mile backstretch at Belmont. And I think that threw him off a little bit maybe. Um, and he got, he got a little strong, but he came back to Javier and, and, um, and he, he ran well. I mean, that horse is, I think Jimmy's horse is a real horse. And, uh, you know, I thought when you see the fractions initially, I was a little disappointed. But um, after the fact, I, I was happy. We took him a mile and a 16th on the grass to a mile and a quarter on the dirt. Just his second start since the Breeders' Cup. Uh, so we kind of asked him to do a lot. But he, he showed up and he ran well. And I think um, the team is looking to point to the uh, Woodward at the end of the meet here. <clears throat> Very cool. Be nice to have another Catholic boy sighting. A couple of great moments in his career have happened locally. Maybe, maybe we'll have another one to, to add to the list. 
Um, John, thank you so much for your time today. I want to have you on soon. You know, we could do an hour with you talking about your background, and we didn't, didn't get you going on handicapping at all. But what I'd like to do, if it suits you, is uh, we'll, 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 we'll keep you fresh for another appearance a little bit later in the meet or, or come this fall, if that, if that suits you. I'd love to. That'd be great. Excellent. John Panagot, thank you very much. Thank you, Thanks, John. See you out there. Thanks a lot. And that's going to do it for this edition of the In the Ring Pedigree podcast. I want to thank John Panagot. I want to thank Sean Tugel, and we'll thank Jonathan Kinchin as well. He actually stuck his head in there during that uh, interview, but for technical reasons, I can't have him sitting next to me today, so I, I just sent him on his merry way. He wanted to say hi, though, Sean. I could tell from looking at well, him. Well, I, I appreciate it. <laughs> I can't wait to see you guys up in Saratoga in a couple weeks. It'll be a lot of fun. It's going to be great, and we'll be here on this show next week as well. That's going to do it. Most of all, I want to thank everybody for tuning in, no matter if you're an industry veteran or a new fan looking to learn more. We appreciate all the feedback. You can reach out to me, at Looms Boldly on Twitter. Sean, we're going to get you using that Twitter more. I want to see that paddock report on maximum security. What is your Twitter handle for those listening? It's at Sean Tugel. Just your but, name? Uh, it, yes, just my. You every time you ask me what my handle is, it's like you're. you're it's like I offend you that I just use my name. Is it not good no. enough? I mean, my mother named me. <laughs> it doesn't offend me at all. It's just very rare that someone can get their their name. And I would think that would be more of an early adopter person. And it sounds like you're the opposite. It sounds like you're more of a you know a technophobe, which surprises me for a, a relatively young person. No, not a technophobe, but I do want to go over exactly what the ethics are for retweeting and liking and because i am not out oh. here to offend people i'll give you i'll give you a course off air on on twitter <laughs> etiquette and we'll get you moving and grooving this show has been a production of in the money media in the money media's business manager is drew Cotney. i'm peter thomas fornital may the hammer drop your way